came, came out of it. And I was really struck by this as I, as I was worshiping, and we were all worshiping together. As I, and I kinda, it, was, it was kind of surreal. I, I saw this, and it's kind of stuck with me ever since, and God's been applying it in different ways in my own life. And, um, and what, what this is actually, is this is actually from the Bible. This isn't just a random image that God gave me. This is actually a vision, or part of a vision, that Ezekiel has in chapter, in chapter 38. And it's incredibly important um, for us as believers to understand um, what this is about. And so, so Ezekiel, has, Ezekiel is, a, is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's, so a prophet is someone who speaks for God. Um, back in the day, when the Bible was still being written, um, God would choose people. Before Jesus came, God would choose people and say, you are going to be my mouthpiece, and when you speak, it's me speaking. So when they said, thus saith the Lord, we had to listen. People had to listen because it was God actually speaking to them through, through this person. And so Ezekiel is one of these prophets, and God gives him um, a number of visions. One of the visions that God gives him is this valley of dry bones like the song that we sang. And then this is a vision that comes after. And in this vision is, is um, just what, what I saw. There's a temple. God creates this, this beautiful, magnificent temple. And out of this temple, a river flows out of it, and it brings life everywhere that the river goes. And so the idea of temple and the idea of this river of living water are actually very important symbols for us in Scripture. The, the temple appears many times in Scripture from beginning to end, and so, and so does this river. And, it, and Jesus actually talks about these things, and Paul talks about these things, and, and um, our understanding of them can, can say a lot about who we are and what life is like, supposed to be like for us. And so this morning, I don't, I'm not going to go through every single time um, it's been mentioned in the Bible, but we are, I'm, I am going to carry you kind of through the story of the Bible and where this temple and where this river pop up. And by the end of it, you're going to see just how significant this is for us. Sound good? All right, you guys with me? This microphone's not with me. Okay. Okay, so, in the beginning... In the beginning, and um, I'm not going to read all the verses we're going to go through. I'll just, if you want to write them down, and, and I would challenge you to and encourage you to go read it for yourself and see that I'm not making this up. But in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, we see the temple and we see the river appear, but not necessarily in the way we would expect. And so in the beginning, God and man lived together in perfect relationship in a beautiful garden called Eden. And it was heaven on earth. Man and woman walked with God and knew God and spoke with God face to face. There was no evil, there was no sin, there was no brokenness in the world at this place. And it was the most beautiful place on the world. And it was a special place. And from that garden, in chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that a river flowed out from the garden. And that river broke into four rivers that were actually very significant, like the Euphrates, very big rivers in that area of the world. And, And it talks about the life that came out of those rivers. I just mentioned briefly that, that in the middle of this garden, there's this garden, and a river flowed out from it. And we see that life comes out from the river. And so what we see, even at the beginning here, is that the garden is actually God's temple. Because the temple, as we read through Scripture, is the temple is where God lives. The, the temple is where God's presence dwells. And so God's presence lived in the garden with us. And the river flows out from the temple from God's presence and brought life where it went. So it starts all the way in the beginning. But then what happens in the story? 
sin and wickedness, we rebel against God. We choose ourselves and our own ideas and our own ways over God's ways. And so we bring sin and wickedness into the world. We bring sin and, and wickedness and brokenness into our own hearts. And we become incurably sick. And it actually affects the whole world. And the earth is actually um, enslaved by sin because of us and our actions. And the earth suffers because of us. And so um, when we do that, and we see that in Genesis chapter 3, and then on in the chapter 4, um, when that happens, God has to exile us out of the garden, out of his presence, out of the temple, because God is holy and God is perfect and God is good. And the, and the sin and the wickedness can't be in God's presence because he needs to have justice for what is wrong and what is evil. There needs to be, there needs to be justice. Like, we like justice. We want people who ha- commit crimes to pay for them, right? And so we now are broken and in that state, and God needs to have justice. We get that from God. And so God, because he loves us, sends us away from the garden and says, I'm going to fix this so that you can come back and be in a relationship with me again. But we are sent out. And when we are sent out, it tells us that we exit out of the east of the garden and we go east. And it seems just like a random, why would that be in there, this direction? But it it actually pops back up in Ezekiel's vision. Is that humanity is exiled from the garden and we leave and we head east and that's where God puts um, his cherubim his angels to, to keep us from coming back in, is in the east of the garden. And then when Cain kills Abel in the next story, Cain heads even further east. And the idea is that the further away we go from God, the further east we go. That's how they say it. When you're, people who are in the east are the people who are far away from God. And this appears. And so the east is, is significant there. And so we, are, we have a problem. We as humans, we have a problem. We are stuck with sin. And we are sick, and we can't cure it. And we've tried and tried for thousands of years to fix ourselves, and we can't seem to do it. It just pops back up. No matter how hard we try, we hurt each other, and um, we put ourselves first over others. And the world is not that great of a place because of it. And so we have a problem, and God um, is going to fix it. God wants to bring us back into his presence. He wants to bring us back into relationship with him. Back to the place where the river is, where there is life. And so God has a plan, and that's the plan that we see worked out in Scripture in the Bible. And so we jump ahead to Israel. And Israel is God's chosen people. God goes about and he chooses his people and says, You're going to be my people, and I'm going to start this with you. I'm going to start rebuilding a relationship with humanity with you. And it's not because of anything you've done, it's not because you guys are good, moral people. Actually, if you read the stories, they're pretty bad. To do a lot of horrible things to each other and to other people. He says, no, but I've chosen you because of my goodness and my greatness and my mercy. And so he chooses this people and he begins to restore the relationship. And the way he restores the relationship is by building a temple. He does, he does it in a, in a lot of ways. But we see that God goes about when they're wandering in the desert and you read it in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and, uh, and we had the youth reading through it in discipleship, and they all got bogged down, and, and we're like, whoa, this is like heavy reading, because um, God goes into extreme detail with how to build this new space where he's going to live. They called it a tabernacle, and it was this mobile tent, and he had specific rules for how it was supposed to be made, and how it was supposed to be carried around, and what they were supposed to do with it, and how they were supposed to act inside of it. And this was the place where God's presence was going to come back and live said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. And they actually see it happen at different points in the Old Testament. God comes and lives inside this temple, this tabernacle. And then later in their history, David's son Solomon builds a temple. 
a physical place in the city of Jerusalem. And we can go and see some of the ruins of it. And it was so marvelous that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was this incredibly beautiful place. And so God, God builds the temple. And the temple is, is the center of their faith. They worship God at the temple. They come to the temple to receive forgiveness for their sins. To, to give him praise and worship. To celebrate their festivals. To go and meet with God. And it's this incredible place to them. And when you read in the scriptures, and especially in the Psalms, you see how much they loved the temple and how important and valuable it was to them. This was the most important thing in their life, was the temple, because that's where God lived and that's where they went to meet with God. It was so important. But it wasn't perfect. It wasn't a perfect solution. It wasn't the solution to the problem. Because there were restrictions about who could go in and how far they could go in and what they had to do to go in there. And there was restrictions about what times of the year and if you did certain things, you were unclean and you couldn't go there. And that's because the problem was still inside of us. We were still sinful. We were still broken. And so if we went into God's presence, broken and full of sin and wickedness, then God would have his justice. And the judgment for us would be death because of everything that we do to each other and how we have rebelled against God. Because when we do things against each other, when we choose ourselves over God... We're rebelling against him. And we're saying, I don't want you, I want myself. But he loves us so much that he goes to all this work to make sure that he can restore the relationship with us. So we see that in the temple. But it is a temporary thing. It's a a part of the story helping us to understand, bridging us the gap, getting humanity ready for him to fix it. Because I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that we don't have to go to a temple right now. And we don't have to worry about all the laws of Moses and following them because they're really hard. But it's significant to them. It's a significant part of their story when you read it, the temple. And the river appears a little bit here and there. There's a story when they're in, in exile um, and the, uh, at the, the waters of Meribah where the people are in the desert and they have no water to drink and they are going to... Um, they're dehydrated and they're going to they're gonna die from lack of water. And so God tells Moses to go and speak to a rock and water is going to come forth and give them fresh water out of nowhere and give them life. And, and Moses hits it instead and doesn't listen and he can't go into the promised land because of that because he doesn't listen to God. But water comes out of this rock and this river comes out and it gives the people of Israel life. Okay, and it kind of pops up once in a while. And we find out later that Jesus is actually that water in that river. And Jesus refers to himself as that. Okay, but we see again this temple and the water. And so now we get to Ezekiel's vision. So if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. And so Ezekiel has these incredible visions that for us, when we look in hindsight, make, make more sense. And we actually are experiencing some of it. But for Ezekiel, this was this incredible thing that he probably couldn't even get his head around. So we're going to read what God told Ezekiel. In chapter 36, verses 22. I'm just going to read a few verses here and there because it's, the visions cover um, a very large section. So in Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 28, this is what God tells Ezekiel. 
Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. And when, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather from all the countries and bring you into their own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's the water appearing. And clean, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your heart, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. Ezekiel is talking about what Jesus has done for us. All the way back before Jesus came. God promises the people of something greater than the temple, greater than their laws, greater than the things that they're going to have to do. He promises that he's going to give them their, the spirit. It's going to live inside of them and they're going to have a new heart. And, this, and it's going to be a heart that's going to want to follow God and is going to want to please God and is going to please God and is going to follow God. And then we skip ahead and the next um, vision is the Valley of Dry Bones, which we'll save for another time. But then when we get to, we get to chapter 40, Ezekiel has, has a vision of this temple, of this new temple that's going to happen. And uh, verse 40 to one, verses 1 to 4, we read, In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain, on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears, and set your heart upon all that I shall show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel." And then for the next several chapters, this, um, this angel, this being, takes Ezekiel around and in very great detail shows him this temple, this, this magnificent temple that is bigger and better than anything they've ever seen before. And it's this incredible place where God is going to live because the temple is where God comes and lives. God dwells in the temple, in this special place. And so in chapter 43, verses 1 to 7, this... This happens. After he's gone about and seen so much of the temple, something happens. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. It's 43 verses 1 to 7. And behold, the glory of of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory, and the vision I saw was just like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, just like the vision that I had seen by the Kibar Canal, and I fell down on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my name, neither they nor their kings, by their whorings and by their dead bodies of their kings at their high places. He goes on. And we see he goes around, he shows in the temple, and then God's glory comes, his spirit comes, and rushes in and fills the temple from the east. And God speaks to him and says, this is where I'm going to live. 
in this vision. And then we go, and then God shows him from this point on, he talks all about worship. And what is worship going to look like in this temple? What are the rules? What are the laws? What are those restrictions for his presence? And we go all the way to chapter 47, and something else happens. Chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, The water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Englem, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh, for they are left for salt. And on the banks of both sides of the river there, are, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit in every month. Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. It's incredible. What is happening here? It sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden. That from this new temple that God is showing Ezekiel, the river coming out of the temple flows east to where we were exiled and we were sent away. And the temple faces us with its doors open to us. And as it goes east, it brings life with it. And it's, incre- it's, it's life that's never failing, never ending. Fresh fruit every month. The oceans aren't salty. And back then the oceans were, were a bad place. That's, they didn't understand it. It was, they, it was a metaphor for evil. Everything becomes fresh. Everything becomes good. Everyone is taken care of. And it's never ending. And this comes out of the temple. And it invites us to return to the temple. And so God shows Ezekiel a a vision of the future. And we may read this and look at it and go, I don't understand this. Where is this coming from? I don't see a temple physically. But who is the most important person to ever walk on this face of the earth who has yet to show up? Jesus. Yes. So... Then Jesus comes on the scene, and he changes everything. He changes the way we look at the scriptures. He changes the way the Jewish people, they, they had an idea of what everything was supposed to look like, and he, Jesus changes it. And how does he change it? He changes it by attaching these prophecies to himself. 
All throughout the scripture, all throughout the gospels, we see Jesus taking Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament symbols, and he says, that's me. That's me. It's talking about me. And so we see this a lot in the book of John. And so in the book of John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple and he clears it all out because they've turned it into a marketplace. And when they get mad at him and say, why are you doing this? He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. He's talking about himself. He does this another time. Jesus talks about the temple and calls himself the temple. He says, I am the temple. Right? And what, what is the temple? The temple is the place where God's glory lives. It's where God's presence is on earth. And so Jesus is saying, I am God's presence on earth. And we know that to be true, and we see that to be true. And when Jesus died, there was an earthquake on the crucifixion. And the veil in the temple, which kept people away from God's presence, there was a, there was a giant curtain that kept people away from God, from actually seeing him, is torn from top to bottom. Miraculously. And all of a sudden, there is no more separation between God's presence and humanity. So we see that Jesus is the temple. Jesus is God's presence on the earth. Jesus is God. And Jesus also talks about the river. You may have heard a story about Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And Jesus has this conversation with a woman that he should not have been speaking to in a place he should not have been. Because the Samaritans were half Jewish. They were considered half-breeds. They, they mixed worship of their old gods with the God of Israel. They worshipped in a different place. They worshipped wrong. The Jews hated them. Um, back then, men didn't speak to women. And on top of it, we find out that this is a woman who has lived with many men and has not been faithful with her husbands. So this is, this is a big no-no for Jesus. But he goes to a well on purpose, and he has this conversation with a woman in John chapter 4. And Jesus connects the pictures for us. And in John chapter 4, verses 7 to 26, this is what Jesus tells the woman. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I wonder what gave it away. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jerusalem was where the temple was. 
You, will, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Then the woman said to him, I know that that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What does Jesus do here? Does it sound familiar? Jesus, in the same conversation with this woman, who is far from God, talks about there's coming a time when there will be no physical temple. We will not have to go to a place and worship God. And that if we go to Jesus, he will give us living water that we will never have to thirst from again. Like the water in the Garden of Eden, the river flowing out of the vision of the new temple. That this river, wherever life goes, wherever the river goes, life follows. Life comes out of it, and it wells up from within us. Because Jesus, what we see is Jesus is the temple and Jesus is the river of life. He is the one who gives, he is the source of life. He is the source of the river, of the water that we drink and we never have to thirst from again, spiritually. And this is the good news. This is what the gospel is. It's that Jesus is God, that God's presence has come and dwelt on the earth among us. He has made himself known to us and he has restored us to relationship with him. And it's not because of anything we've done. It's because of everything that he has done and everything that he is. And he says, come to me over and over again as you read the gospel. He says, come to me all you who are weary and thirsty and I will give you rest. Talks about coming and eating of his body. He's the bread of life. And if you eat my bread, you will never go hungry again. And he says later in John chapter 7, he says, anyone who follows him will have rivers of living water come up from within them and flow out to other people. This is significant for us. Are you making the connection? So Jesus is God's presence on earth. But is Jesus here physically right now? Walking with his two feet? No. He dies. He's resurrected. Comes back. He defeats Satan, sin, death. He, he is the cure for our, our problem. And then he ascends into heaven. He goes back into the heavenly places and he tells us, I am sending my spirit. And my spirit will come and dwell among you and inside of us. And that spirit then is our counselor and is our comforter and it it helps us. And so when we follow Jesus, we place our trust in Jesus, Jesus actually comes and lives inside of us. And where in the story does God's presence live? In the temple. So what does that mean for us? It means that we are now the temple. We are now God's temple. And Paul says it very clearly to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I think in chapter 9. That we are now the special holy place where God's presence lives. You. It's not in this building. You are the temple of God. If you follow Jesus, if you trust Jesus, you are now the temple. The holy 
place where God lives. And you are made holy, you are made righteous, you are clean because his presence is inside of you. Because God has chosen you. That is who you are. And that is who we are. Paul tells us that you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we as a community are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God's presence lives inside of us and dwells inside of us. And that is... That's incredible, if you think about it. God is living inside of you right now. God is here right now. We could be meeting anywhere. We could be meeting in a field. We could be meeting in each other's homes. And God's presence is with us because we are his temple. You bring God everywhere you go. Just like the tabernacle in the wilderness, you are now a portable temple carrying the presence of Jesus everywhere you go. And when Jesus went and cleansed the temple in John chapter 2, because it was dirty and they were using it for things that shouldn't have been used of, it didn't stop being a temple. And when we are still living in our brokenness because we're not totally healed yet, God is working inside of us, healing us and fixing us. But just because we mess up, just because we sin, just because we don't follow God perfectly, doesn't mean that we stop being his temple or that his presence stops living inside of us. Because the temple in Jerusalem didn't stop being a temple when the Jews used it wrong. And they used it wrong a lot. So you need to know that you are God's temple. God lives inside of you. And he wants to. And there's nothing you can do. There's no point at which God says, well, you're too unclean, I can't be around you anymore. Because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done. Jesus has saved you. Jesus sets us free. Jesus is the, is the victor for us. And that is the solution. And from out of this temple that we are, that lives inside of us, springs rivers of living water. Living water flows up from within us because God's Spirit lives inside of us. And it flows out and it flows on everyone who's around us. Everywhere we go, rivers of living water are coming up out of us. God's life is coming up out of us. And it refreshes us and fills us. And, it's, and it refreshes the people around us, our families, our friends, our workplaces, the community groups that we're involved with, the strangers that we meet. That is who we are. We are God's special holy place where his presence is living And from us is this river of life that is coming up. And God wants to bring life to our community and to this world through us. Just like he shows us in the vision in Ezekiel. And just like happened in the Garden of Eden. That he wants to use us to bring life to the world. To go to to all the dark places. To go to all, all the dry places. All the places that are just been so ruined by sin and by wickedness. And he wants us to bring life. And this is more than just in my own heart. And this is more than just saving souls. This is actually applies to real life. This applies to social justice. This applies to, to, um, to even the green movement and how we treat the earth that is God's creation that we are stewards over. We are the, in the, the first thing God gives us as a job is to care for the earth. And this applies. And when Jesus talks about life 
in Revelation and Ezekiel, it talks about life in the land as well. But social justice. We can get involved in bringing justice to the world. Jesus wants us to bring... He wants to bring justice to this world through us. Right? He wants us to come alongside missionaries who are out in the world doing it. He wants us to do it at home. To stand up for justice. To stand up for peace. For love. To take care of the things that he wants to take care of and the things that he loves. And it starts with us. That's who we are. Wherever you go, this is happening. And we don't always realize it's happening. And other people don't realize it's happening. Have you ever had someone just talk to you and say, there's something about you, I just don't get it? That's Jesus flowing out of you. Right? People say, oh, you're different. Or, you know, there's just something about you. Right? Or people like to be around you. It's because Jesus is flowing out of you and you don't even know it. And they don't even get it. They don't understand. But that is what is happening. He's a, he's a smart, very smart, very sneaky, very wonderful God. Because he could just come back and judge everyone and end it. But instead he wants to use us to change the world. God, God is a generous God. That he wants to... Because God takes joy in bringing dead things to life. God loves to take the things that are dead and that are broken and make them beautiful again. And he loves doing it so much that he wants to include us in that. And he wants us to take the dead things of this world and bring them to life. Starting with us and moving out. So if the worship team wants to come back, now we're going to sing a song. And so the question for us is not whether or not we are good enough or deserving enough of this because we aren't. And we can't be. There's nothing we can do to deserve this. It is all Jesus' grace and Jesus' mercy and Jesus' love for us that he has done this in our hearts and in our lives. And it is already happening. If you are following Jesus, if you believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, this is what is happening. The question for us becomes, are we going to resist him? Are we going to try and stop the waters up or muddy the waters? Are we going to make the temple dirty and unclean? because we want to go our own way? Or do we want to get on board with who we are and who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives and say, yeah, I'm in. I want this. I want to join you in this. I recognize that you were doing this in my life and I want to bring life wherever I go. And it's his life. And so two questions to think about this week. Is there anything in my life that is making the temple dirty or the river murky that needs to change? Are there things that I am doing in my life or not doing that are making it difficult for God to shine through? He's already there working and he wants to change it and is ready to change it. He's just waiting for us to join in. And the second question is, where can I bring life by being Jesus to the people around me? Where does Jesus want the rivers of living water that are welling up inside of me to spill out onto in my world? What people in my life? What causes? Like, who has God made you to be? What? Where can you bring life? And then, let's do it. It's as simple as smiling and as our demeanor. And sometimes it's as difficult as standing up and saying no to something or to somebody else. You can't say no for themselves. So let's just take a moment and let's just worship. And we're going to sing a song. And think about these questions and let's just press into Jesus and ask him to fill us again. Ask him to forgive us. Ask him to cleanse us. Ask him, ask for more of his presence in our lives. 
just waiting. And as we press into him and as we want more of him, he responds in kind. you for who you are, for everything that you've done for us, God. I thank you that um, that you've taken such great care to explain to us and to show us just who you are and, and what you're doing, God. It's a, it's a long and it's an incredible story, God, and we just thank you that, that you have won the